Broncos All-Decade Tackle Orlando Franklin. Two-time All-Pro linebacker Chad Brown. Former Broncos tight end and New York Times best-selling author Nate Jackson. 104.3 The Fan welcomes you into the Players Club. Good morning, players. Take a seat. At your normally assigned seat, pull out your textbooks and turn to page 234. We're picking up where we left off yesterday. Hopefully you're taking notes. There will be a test at the end of this. Orlando, how are you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, Nate. I am doing great today. It was a great day yesterday. It was a great morning. Wow. Great. Lots of greats. Yeah, lots of greats, man. What, what was so great excited. about it? Um, yesterday, well, I was excited just being home, hanging out with the kids. I mm. uh, was able to take the kids to the mall and get mommy's birthday present. Mommy's birthday is on Saturday. So I leave today because I'm on the call for Miami versus Bethune-Cookman. So I'm flying to Miami later on tonight. Um, so yesterday was kind of just let, let's get it all done. And the kids had hockey practice, and they just love being out there on the ice. So super just chill day, but got a lot accomplished for sure. Is there checking in the in this kid's hockey? <laughs> no, dude. Check, oh, I mean, what I about guess, fighting? Do you encourage? I, I mean, I guess there's checking, Nate, because they're, they're still learning how to skate. So they're just bumping into each other. Yeah. So for the first part of the lesson yesterday, Zade kept on going back and forth and chasing this one little kid that they're, they're good buddies, and they kept on, like, tripping over each other. So I guess you could call that a little bit of checking. Well, um, sounds like you had a productive day, and you're and you're out of here tomorrow. You are calling I'm out of here today. Today, you're yeah. calling calling games for ESP today on a Tuesday. Yeah, I leave today because um, tomorrow we'll we'll meet with uh, University of Miami's coaching staff, the uh, the head coach OC and DC. Well, did you uh, did you catch that game last night? Uh, a little bit of it. It was on in the background. Did you see Aaron Rodgers go down? Uh, yeah, I, I saw that. Um, circulating through social media and stuff like that. But. Well, though, we're still awaiting news on what exactly happened to Aaron Rodgers, but a lot of internet doctors slowing down the, the footage, super slow-mo, zoomed in on his calf and think that his Achilles exploded there. On the fourth play, on offense for those guys, the first play, now remember, Nathaniel Hackett is the offensive coordinator. Yeah, He's calling plays, right? He's getting another crack at this thing. First play of the game, Brees Hall. Now, Aaron Rodgers under center. Hands the ball off to Brees Hall. 26-yard scamper up the left sideline, okay? And then he proceeds to go into shotgun the next three plays, and that's when Aaron Rodgers got hurt. Mm. Now, I don't know if you saw Aaron Rodgers back there on those four plays. He didn't look very comfortable mm. to me. It was like it was almost like he was like, oh, gosh. Really? Oh, well, he was, seemed overwhelmed by the speed around him. Uh, tried to make something happen, ditched the ball, got tackled in the very next play. Towards Achilles. So playing in that fourth preseason game against a bunch of scrubs and they're trying to make the team, that didn't really help Aaron Rodgers out this year? He seemed overwhelmed by the speed of the moment to me. Mm. I was like, oh, he looks old. And then and then it was like two plays later, oh, he's actually hurt. Yeah, well, and, Oh, he's done for the season. Yeah, well, that's what was the Jets, right? They got hard knocks. They wanted to, they played in the Hall of Fame game. They didn't play Aaron Rodgers all the way up until the fourth preseason game, which was the last. Everybody else. And yeah, that's when they decided to play their starters, right? Um, the, the, I think what we're going to see, Nate, is I think next year we might see 
everybody just do away with it and say the heck with it. We're playing our starters from the get-go. Mm. Because a guy like Aaron Rodgers, had you got him out there, I'm not saying he had to play in the first preseason game in the Hall of Fame, but you get him out there for a couple reps in the in the, the second one and the third and, and the fourth, you just start callousing that body up the right way and maybe maybe this doesn't happen. Yeah, this uh, this opening weekend of the NFL was pretty interesting. A, a lot of the uh, the big name quarterbacks that we've given a lot of money to and assume can take a team on their backs and do it all by themselves played really poorly. In fact, I mean Aaron Rodgers didn't even get a chance to play. Um, Josh Allen threw three picks, didn't play well at all last night for the Bills. They lost to the um, Zach 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 Wilson led mm. Jets. Um, Joe Burrow signs a record-breaking contract and then goes out in the field and takes a dump at his helmet and just kind of smears it around. Um, who else? Who else had a bad day? Um, there weren't a lot of points scored, man. And so when we... I, I feel like we've got to pull the lens back on the way we're judging this Broncos game and start to look at it as maybe this is what's happening in the league right now. Defenses are starting to gain the upper hand on offenses. Uh, 15 to 16, <clears throat> Saints beat the Titans. 20 to 17, Bucks over the Vikings. 24 to 3, Browns over the Bengals. 20 to 16, Commanders over the Cardinals. 17 16, Raiders over the Broncos. So, do you think that the defense is catching up to what the offense has been doing? The game of football is always constantly evolving. And in the offense, you're so multiple in the things that you do. You know, now, you, you played this game of football like I did, and you get to training camp, they'll throw the whole playbook at you, right? You'll, you'll install it within five days. But during those five days as a player, right, even if I am a starter, I might only run 15% of that whole playbook in those five days. And then you constantly go on this rotation throughout training camp, so you might not get those reps, you might not fully get those reps as a player of, of everything that's in the playbook until the season's like halfway through because once the season starts, now that's when, here's the game plan for this week. You're getting those reps in practice. So you feel comfortable about the, the reps in practice, but some of those reps in, that you might be getting in practice, Nate, might be reps that you've never even got the whole offseason program. So I think that that's where you see offenses struggle. Now, once the season starts, some of these guys, yeah, I know they've been in ODAs. I know they've been in training camp. But with that personnel grouping, with that quarterback, because resting guys, you're now running these plays for the first time. So that continuity, that chemistry is really not there because guys are getting – and, oh, by the way, guys also get vet days during training camp as well. So I think defensively, these guys have been running the same defense since high school. Defense don't really change. Right, but offensively you're constantly changing. But there's not enough time in how the new NFL does things for you to get those reps that you truly need to go out there and have success off the bat. Yeah, it's it's just going to be ugly this first month in the NFL because of the way they treat the off season, because of the way they treat mini camp, training camp, limited practices. The practices benefit offense more than they benefit defense because the offense depends on timing. And the defense doesn't really depend on timing. They depend on reacting to what the offense is doing. But the, the passing game in particular requires rep after rep after rep after rep. You see some of these college teams look better passing the ball early than the NFL teams because they spend more time out there doing it. Mm. Look at CU, man. I mean, they look a lot more precise in the passing game than the Broncos. Yep. Um, 
Someone on the Ramaslaw.com text line saying, wow, Nate, defenses are gaining the upper hand, huh? Because Friday you were saying the Raider defense wasn't nothing and you guys were going to do all this stuff, but I told you you were wrong, but you didn't listen. What do you think of the Raider defense now, Nate? Mm. I wasn't here Friday, Got so me. yeah, calling you out. The Raider defense isn't isn't very good. I mean, I'm just basing it on their performance last year. They were bottom bottom third of the NFL and everything, and almost bottom three defenses. Mm. Probably the worst passing defense in the NFL. So it is concerning that the Broncos couldn't get anything done against them. Kudos to the Raiders for getting that done. That was a, a horrible loss for the Broncos at home there. But, um, sir, do you think the Raiders' defense is good? I mean, is that what you're saying? This is going to be a really good defense? Because I would beg to differ there. I don't think this is going to be a good defense. The Raiders. I think but, it's going to be better than last year. Yeah? Yeah. Why? I, I like their inside linebackers. I okay. like some of the things. But they got rid of their best linebacker. What's his face? Perriman. Yeah, Denzel's out there with the Houston Texans. That dude's a baller. Uh, yeah, he's a baller on first and second down. DP uh, struggles kind of in that passing game. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, kind of a little bit of a liability. But he'll come downhill and, and he'll give I you a face full of Rydell, <laughs> that's for sure. I think that's and what I meant. That's what he's looking to do every single time. If he can embarrass the offensive lineman, tight end, and running back, whatever. I, am, I mean, DP's definitely a beast uh, from from the U, baby. You let, let, let that be known. But... um. I think that the Raiders got better this offseason defensively in their with the, their ability not to tell, not to give away a tell. Hmm. Uh, they don't have to be perfect in all their matchups as it, uh, a year ago. Where, like, first down, if I'm an offensive coordinator, I see Denzel Perriman out there. I'm trying to throw the ball. I'm trying to get him matched up on the tight end because there's a clear mismatch right there in the passing game. Where I think overall they were able to get a little bit better a little bit more ahead at the linebacker position where now those guys could also stay on the field on third down unless a team just says, hey, you know what, we're going to go to uh, 10 personnel. Mm. We're, we're going to put four wide receivers out there and spread this thing out. At that point, you definitely got to go dime to match that because you don't want no inside linebackers trying to cover wide receivers. Well, um, we're going to pull the lens back here a little bit on this Broncos-Raiders game and try to look at it um, a little bit more objectively through the lens of this entire league. What happened in the first week discerning minds seem to be disagreeing about what we saw from the Broncos offense Sunday. Was it good or was it bad? We'll have that discussion next. You've been admitted VIP entry into the Players Club with Orlando Franklin, Chad Brown, and Nate Jackson. Yeah, <laughs> listen, we're going to, we got to be better. Broncos offense has to be better, right? Was that good enough? Well, some think it is, some think it was. And I think it's important that we do look at this game, the game the Broncos just lost to the Raiders at home, making it seven straight losses to the Raiders. But we got to look at this game for what it was, sort of an anomaly, a six-possession offensive anomaly. Very conservative, very bland. But many of the games like we we're talking about were similar affairs, and, and maybe that's a symptom of week one and the lack of preseason and offenses you know, taking until October to really come out of the gate. But guess what? If you want to be around in December and January, you have to come out of the gate in September proficiently and, and at least get off to a decent start or else you're behind the eight ball and then you just never, never regain uh, control. Um, 
But I want to dive into this Broncos and the good and the bad of it, the, the offense, because um, that seems to be the thing Sean Payton was brought here to fix. Defense was good last year. Uh, maybe they didn't. Yep. Maybe they didn't um, play as well this week, but they they held them to 17 points, guys. Typically, you need to be able to score more points than that to win. So, Orlando, what in your in your mind, what did they do well? The Broncos. What did they do well? Um, I thought on the run, I I, I thought that. The run game looked a lot better than what I expected, Nate. Uh, you know, usually it takes time to create an identity. It takes time to get the run game going. It takes time to feel confident to say, hey, you know what? We could go out here and run the ball on anybody. Uh, I thought the Broncos went out there week one and, and figured that out. Uh, I love the fact that Russell Wilson was on the first couple drives spreading the ball around. You know, not seven run- receivers. Uh, seven passes in the opening draft. Nice. Yeah. Um, not locking in on one person. I think that's going to be great for this football team moving forward, especially with the injury to Dulcich and, you know, waiting on Jerry Judy. So that was good. Uh, two sacks, I'll take it. I'll take two sacks a game for the next 17 games if they're able to do that. So offensively, offensively, those are some of the things I think they did very well. First half as well, Russell Wilson getting to the line of scrimmage, identifying the defense. I thought Russ was very sharp with, you know, being able to get up there, recognize the defense, get the defense to tip their hands, put the Broncos in the best position to succeed. As the game went on, that went away. Um, but yeah, so those are the things that I think went well. Um, yeah, those are so, my silver lining. So you mentioned the running game. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned a lack of sacks. Does that mean that you give a good grade to the offensive line? Do I give a good grade to the offensive line in week one? Yeah. Um, I would have to go back and watch each individual because I, I saw guys struggle at different times. Mm-hmm. I give that a good team effort overall, I think. Yep. The lack of sacks, guys getting open, Russ knowing where to get go to with the football. Mike McGlinchey struggled. He struggled against Max Crosby. Uh, I saw Lloyd Cushenberry get trucked one play by the inside linebacker. Just came downhill. Boom, get out the club. Players club? No. Yeah, yeah. let's get up out of here. Fake ID, get out. So um, I I saw Ben Powers miss a guy. And and if he gets that guy on the screen, um, something special could happen out there in field. Like getting like Javante Williams, Samaje Piran, the ball in the open field. Like these guys, man, they three-way go. They go to the right, go to the left, or just flat out run you over. So I thought the offensive line struggled at certain points, but it was overall good team football. Like sacks are th- something that the quarterback can get rid of the ball, you know, wide receiver get open, guy makes an unbelievable catch. It's never really just on the offensive line at if it's two sacks. I yeah. So I can't just pump up the offensive line right now. Well, I'm going to pump them up a little bit because I thought they played pretty well. And nice. for, a, for a team that was under, or for a unit, it was under fire our tr- all training camp. We remember we had our eyeballs out there at every practice and everyone saying the offensive line's getting whooped and who are these guys we paid money to and why would we pay so much money for these guys and blah, 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 blah. Well, they kept Russell pretty clean. Uh, uh, I thought operated pretty darn well. The running game looked like it had some holes. It had some possibilities there. And so I, I'm going to give uh, some props to the offensive line. I think this unit's only going to come together and play better as the season goes on. So I thought it was a good start start for the O-line, as well as those two running backs, Javante Williams and Samaji Piran. I think it's a really good one-two punch, those two. And to me, those two had the biggest spark on offense, like the biggest, like, you know, the brightest spot. The guys who looked to me to be shining the brightest, ready for the ball, ready for the moment, ready to go make plays, break tackles. Those guys actually broke tackles. 
Yeah. Nobody else broke tackles. Nobody else can break tackles at this point. Is is it that they can't or they didn't? Uh, why I, why I, can't I, Corlin Sutton break a tackle? Why can't Adam Troutman break a tackle? Why can't Greg Dulcich break a tackle? Why can't Marvin Mims break a tackle? Shifty McGee. Uh, well, I think Adam Troutman had a lot of opportunities to break tackles. And my confidence, like he didn't make me feel more and more confident that this is going to be something that he's able to obtain. I think when you look at Cortland Sutton, when you look at Marvin Mims, it's a type of ball that they get, you know, um, and you tell me, I, I'm asking you this, as a wide receiver, if you're able to get a, a different type of ball, does that help you with your ability to turn around and, you know, be able to break a tackle? Yes, of course. I mean, so so the quarterback, where he puts it on you and how quickly he puts it on you mm-hmm. um, matters. Like, you remember a couple of years ago, Teddy Bridgewater beat out Drew Locke, but there was not a lot of yards after the catch with Teddy's balls because he doesn't really have a big arm. Mm-hmm. His arm's a little loose. And so by the time you get the ball on a short, you know, a quick pass, that the defense is converging on that ball. Like they're breaking on it and the ball's in the air too long because it's not there's not a, a lot of velocity to it. So you catch it, you turn around, boom, the guy's right on you. So the arm strength of the quarterback matters. His operational quickness matters to get it out of his hand quickly, but then also the accuracy of the quarterback to lead you away from action or into it. You know what I mean? A lot of times your back is turned to the defender and wherever the quarterback puts it, you trust that that's the open area, so you're going to catch it and go that way. Now, sometimes the quarterback inaccurately throws you the ball, and you're misled there, and you think, here's an open area. No, nope, yeah. I just got smashed. Yeah, and that cover two corner sitting there, huh? That cloud corner. Well, cover two, you should know it's cover two, so you shouldn't be, you know, you should understand where he has, is behind you. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, but um, yeah, I thought Russell was efficient. <laughs> yeah, right? No, I'm all right. Not happy with that. Uh, no, I'm banana bread, huh? I'm okay. <laughs> Talking crap about Mike Evans' wife. Sounds like you are cooking. I just you sounds just, like you are. Spray, I didn't say anything. Face. You're the one on on air talking about. <laughs> sounds like you are. Speaking of uh, baked goods, so baked goods. Yesterday I was at home and I have this tub of cookie dough, right, in the fridge, and I, I wanted to like. Well, I had an idea. Got a banana, wrapped it in the cookie dough, and put it in the oven. Nice. Just with the banana gooiness on the inside. I yeah. would have sprinkled a little cinnamon on top of that thing. That See, that's thing what I didn't perfect. do. That's what I didn't do. Mm. Uh, but I'll tell you, uh, I put it in there. It looked really like I you know, had to really flatten that thing. I had to like roll it like it was a, a pie crust and then wrap it around the banana and like fill in the parts. It was... It was a pretty involved process, and then I threw that thing in the oven. I was like, this is going to be awesome. And then I looked in there like five, six minutes later, and it's kind of melting down the sides of the banana. And it ends up being like a just a cookie with a banana in the middle. Mm. Now, there was a tiny layer of cookie over the banana. Because you just put it on a baking sheet, right? You put it on a baking Yeah, I didn't have yeah. it like contained in any in kind container. of like banana cookie holder. They should make those. But, but um, if you had like, you know, like the little flat banana bread things? Yeah. Or the little right, banana little bread container. container. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that would have worked really nice right there. Yeah, but I'll tell you what: after it cooled and stuff, I ate it with a fork. It was it was delicious. The banana was all warm. Oh, I know it was. So anyway, um, all right. The Broncos' offense, good or bad? We talked about the good. We're going to talk about the bad as we go along here. Also, the morning mixtapes next. Boulder continues to be the spot to be. The morning mixtape and Broncos. 
next. The Players Club welcomes you into the morning mixtape with a look at the biggest stories in Denver sports. Here's Orlando, Chad, and Nate. We got some breaking news in the NFL world, and it's something that some folks were expecting to hear, but, uh, well, it's final. Here's Coach Robert Sala on the fate of his superstar quarterback, Aaron Rodgers. All right, I'll uh, deal with the quarterback real quick. Um, uh, concerned with his Achilles. Uh, MRI is probably going to confirm what we think is already going to happen, so prayers tonight, but it's not good. Yep, that's been confirmed. Aaron Rodgers' torn Achilles tendon out for the season, and maybe maybe he's going to call it a career after this. Uh, I know he's had some issues with his calf, that same one. Maybe he's just too old to do this, though. Oh, uh, yeah. When the body goes, it starts going, right? Um, I don't think he'll call it a career, though, would do you? I think Aaron Rodgers wants that opportunity with all those weapons that the Jets have. Uh, the Jets' fate just drastically pivoted as far as what the thought process was. And, you know, the, I think with what we saw uh, two days ago out of the Broncos, this game becomes a lot more winnable right now. But this is unfortunate for Aaron Rodgers. Um, this is a bad injury for a guy that's up there and you didn't know how many years he had left. But if I'm Aaron Rodgers, I'm busting my hump to get back because that Jets offense looks like there's a lot of firepowers. You could possibly get a league MVP and go win a Super Bowl next year with them if you come back healthy. You know, I've been um, I've been on these airwaves many times saying that quarterbacks are overpaid. And that they shouldn't be making twenty to twenty-five percent of a team's salary uh, cap. Here's here's a good indication as to why that's true. If one guy goes down, there you go, there you go. You've lost twenty percent of your <laughs> of your salary cap money on one player. But at the same time, I'm also realizing and starting to understand why the quarterback does make so money, so much money in the NFL. And it's not because of his relative value to the actual football team. It's about his relative value to the soap opera, to the TV broadcast. Really? I mean, absolutely, absolutely. All the money coming into the NFL is media money. And when you watch one of these games, it's all about Aaron Rodgers. It's all about these. Look at Hard Knocks. Aaron Rodgers. Boom. That's the content. It, it, the, the lead up to this broadcast. Boom. Aaron Rodgers and Josh Allen. These guys are the the heroes of your soap opera. That's why they get paid so much money. You can't have 2,000 main characters. That's how many players there are in the NFL. You need 32 of them. One for each team. That they help sell the T-shirts. That's why they make so much money. Mm, so the quarterback's not the most important position in all of sports. You think? Um, I would say I would say yes, but I would say not relative to the money they make over everyone else. The salary cap's two hundred twenty-five million, and Aaron Rodgers, you know, makes fifty. That's not balanced, okay? Especially when he he gets hurt that easy, he's done for the season. Mm. I think the money he makes, the money these quarterbacks makes, are because of their visibility for the marketing for the media. More so than what they do for a team. Now, you need competent quarterback play. Absolutely, you need a good. The better your quarterback is, the better your chances. I'm not saying that you know he's not valuable because he touches the ball every play. He's the one articulating the message. He's the one who distributes the the ball. He's very very important. But is he that important to your team? Well, you look at someone like the top paid guys in different positions, right? A, a, a great left tackle will get sixteen, seventeen, eighteen million dollars a year. Right. Right. Um, Mike McGlinchey, the quarterback. Yeah. Mike McGlinchey, right? Five year, 80 plus million. Right. Ben Powers, four years, 50 plus million. Right. You got guards making what? $13 million a year. So you start looking around and then when you start looking at the quarterback position, and I think it's, it's relative to what everybody else is making. The only beef and pushback that I have is running backs. 
I think running backs should make a lot more money than what they make. And so you should know, they get some of the quarterbacks' money? I yeah. If that's how you got to do it, you got to figure it out a, a certain way. Like you look at Daniel Jones, right? They just got a fifty burger hung on them. Giants offense scored zero. That's a hundred and sixty million dollar quarterback. <laughs> right. Like and you're just looking at him like. Right. You guys didn't realize that this guy's nothing without Saquon, but yeah. Saquon's the one who makes this whole thing go. So it, it's frustrating in, in that sense. But when you get an elite quarterback, like the guy that raises the, the all boats, the tide that raises all boats, yeah, I believe that he should be the $50 million a year guy. Well, I don't. <laughs> all right. Um, Boulder continues to be the spot to be, guys. Both the big noon kickoff and college game day will be. Up the road in Boulder for the matchup with CSU. Coach Prime on the continued national spotlight he's getting. Well, we expect it. I know it's, it sounds uh, kind of boastful. It's, it sounds uh, at the risk of, of sounding arrogant. Um, we truly expect that, and that's why those kids come. They want the biggest stage, and they're getting that every during the week. And the numbers justify it. What, what numbers did we have last week? Over 7 million? Over 7, million. 7 million viewers on Fox. I think it was their biggest opening day in their history. First game out. So, shoot. I'm pretty sure these numbers are going to justify it as well. Cha-ching, 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 cha-ching. Fox and every other media person smart enough to get Dion involved is is pretty happy right now that Dion spoke it and it's happening. Mm, absolutely. Um, he's got it done. He has a, a particular model, and he believed in these kids and got these kids believing in themselves as well. You know, I think what Dion has done the first two weeks since college football is open, he's shocked the world. And what's been the most impressive thing, in my opinion, Nate, is you look at that Nebraska game, and at the start of that game, both teams are riled up. You could feel it. You could feel the rivalry atmosphere on that field. And you're just looking saying, okay, it's going to be who makes the first mistake. And Dion found a way to make sure that his team does not make the first mistake, but also found a way to sustain that for four quarters where these guys are dialed in, they're disciplined, and when they do make mistakes, it's the things that you see him talking about. One guy's on Shador, get off my quarterback type thing, right? Like, it, and they're, they are crossing certain boundaries and, and doing things to hurt the football team, but they're doing the things to hurt the football team that Dion has been preaching all offseason. So these guys are dialed in. They're at the edge of their seat, and they're holding on to every single word of this coaching staff. And that's been impressive. It's one fight, we all fight. Yeah. I mean, it's been unbelievable to see. But to watch them just body blow after body blow after body blow against Nebraska and watch Nebraska concede, it, it it was special. It was unbelievable to see this past weekend. Interesting to see how far they're going to take it this season. What are your expectations? Uh, uh, as far as how far CU is going to take this and ride this momentum? I think CU has a, a, a chance at the Pac-12. I think that that's ultimately when it's all said and done. I, I think there, there are some games in there. They obviously got to show up. But there is you can never count a team down and out when they know that they've shocked the world and they know that they've faced the adversity. I just go back to just 2012, where there's all the questions marks around Peyton Manning. We were questioning Peyton in that locker room. Go to San, San Diego, down 24 nothing, come back, win that football game. And we knew that nobody else could mess with us in the league moving forward, that we were hurting ourselves. I think this football team out there at CU Brother understands that if they're going to lose, it's because they hurt themselves. But they could play with anybody right now on that schedule in the remaining games that they have.
Because they believe, right? Because they believe. Maybe Sean Payton needs to take a page out of Dion's book. Here is Sean Payton talking about the lack of possessions from Sunday's 17-16 loss to the Raiders. It's rare both teams end up with just six possessions. Um, Seven for the Raiders, Sean. You know, in other words, points then become at a premium. Um, you know, generally speaking, you're between 10 and 12 possessions a game. So part of it was a result of both teams having long sustained drives, um, you know, overcoming some third downs, maybe some penalties to keep drives moving. But um, it was a little unusual that way. Yeah, a little bit unusual that way, but possibly a sign of, uh, of things to come with this style of play and the way the teams are going to play the Broncos and the way they're going to decide to play it themselves. Um, you look at the possessions, actually, last night in the game between the Bills and the Jets. Each team had 11. Yeah. Um, now, the Jets only had 53 plays. Broncos had 58 plays. But the Jets only had 53 plays, and the Bills had 68. So really in the 60-70s range is what we're usually going to get. The Broncos were limited on possessions. But is that an excuse for them not to score points, Orlando? No, not at all. But for me, Nate, I want to back up a little bit because you know what Jimmy Garoppolo is. Jimmy Garoppolo is about the quick release and getting the ball out of his hands. You know that Josh McDaniels wanted him there for a specific reason. So... I get it's rare, but it shouldn't have like caught you by surprise if you're Sean Payton. And you, if you're Sean Payton, you knew how you were going to call this game. And you called it with a lot of cover two shell. You you didn't find a way to force them to get out of that cover two shell. So you, you knew that Russ was going to check take the check down. 17 passes between running backs and tight ends. He was going to turn into check down king out there. So with that being said, what are you doing to change that if you're Sean Payton? And, you know, so I, I'm... That's my question. You know, right now, I'm not just drinking the Kool-Aid of Sean Payton. He's got to prove it to me moving forward. Because I think that he has a big thumbprint on this loss. And it was a signature loss for his first coaching experience as a Denver Broncos head coach. You think that loss is on Sean? Yes. So yesterday. Absolutely, I think it's on him. Hundo P? Hundo P. A dollar? Dollar, dollar bill, y'all. <laughs> Well, I wonder if he stood up in front of his team and said that. You think he said, that's on me, guys? This one's on me. I, I think that great head coaches, they do that. Great, leader, I, I, great leaders, great do, leaders that, don't do that, do that. Yeah. When they screw up, they stand in front of the people that they're leading and they say, that's on me. Yeah, leaders. I got to be better. Leaders eat less, right? Mm. You know, so I think that, you know, when you look at Sean Payton, how he has told his team to go about the offseason, the things that he's done. And now with this loss, you went and traded for the kicker. You know, there would be a lot. You've been in those locker rooms, Nate. I've been in those locker rooms. After this game, a game like this where you're looking at the opening onside kick, that doesn't work. You also look at the fact that we're trying to open an onside kick with a kicker that's been in this building once, that's been on this turf once on this grass. We just got him two weeks ago, and then, oh, by the way, he misses an extra point. Oh, we traded for this guy as well? It's a little wet out there, too. Yeah, so, like, uh, I think that there would naturally be a little bit of, you know, talking out the side of your mouth and a little bit of grumbling in the locker room. So if I'm Sean Payton, that's the first thing I'm doing on Monday. Hey, guys, this one's on me. I I hurt this football team, but I promise you this. I'm going to get better. Stick with me, and I'm going to make sure that this never happens on my behalf ever again. And I think that that's a nice reset. That's a nice, hey, you know what? We can move on now. 
But if you just act like nothing ever happened, trust me, there are guys in that locker room talking about it right now if he didn't address that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, and maybe he's a little rusty. He's been gone a year. He's wearing his fox hat. He had to take off the fox hat, put on the coach hat. Mm. And his first coaching decision was to go for an onside kick. Uh, we're going to dive into that a little bit later, talk about really pull, pull some layers back on that thing and see how, how it could have affected the game. But there was one position group that a couple weeks ago was considered an obvious strength on the team. They had a rough game against the Raiders. That's next. Players Club with Orlando Franklin, Chad Brown, and Nate Jackson. Welcome back to the Players Club. Um, we are going to get into um, this position group that was a strength that didn't play very well in the game and that could have played better. But I just wanted to share, well, there's some injury updates with you for the Denver Broncos. Uh, thus far, and this is per our buddy Handy Andy Mason on Twitter, or as they call it now, X. X.com. Uh, the Broncos injuries are piling up. Season ending IR. We got wide receiver Tim Patrick, linebacker Jonas Griffith, wide receiver Jalen Virgil. Short term IR. We got safety PJ Locke, cornerback K1 Williams, favorite band Nickelback, and offensive lineman Alex Pelchewski on the physically unable to perform list. Edge player Baron Browning and then injured on Sunday, safety Caden Stearns with a patellar tendon and tight end Greg Dulcich with a hamstring. Um, and in multiple weeks, I guess Greg Dulcich is going to be out with a hammy. He had hammy issues last year, prevented him from even being involved in training camp. Uh, missed some games. He only played in ten games out of seventeen last year because of the hamstrings. Who who, who concerns you more, Caden Stearns or Greg Dulcich? Or uh, Greg Dulcich, Caden. Uh, trust me, I've been rooting for the young man since he's got in the league, but he hasn't been able to stay healthy. And I, I'm confident with KJ. You know, I love Kareem's ability. I think Kareem still has it. It's always around the ball, flying around. VJ looks like he wants to play a little bit more zone than man. So Kareem's going to have limited opportunities get, to get exposed on one-on-one coverage. But Greg Dulcich is a layer of offense that now you don't have. I mean, maybe Nate Atkins could give you a little bit of something. But we already saw in week one, there's 16 more games, and we know that Adam Trautman cannot do what you want him or need him to do out of the tight end position. Just can't. He's had many opportunities to try to break tackles, many opportunities to try to go get first downs, and it just did not happen. Uh, he's missing the R2 button. I think that's what they use in PlayStation. Stiff for the, uh, Isn't that the speed? Which one's the speed button? Oh, it could be R2, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I haven't played since R2 and 2011. In the little shift, man. I oh. mean... But I, I just need a little kind of bit of speed. Do something. I'm just looking for a little bit of speed right now. You yeah. know what I mean? But do something. right? And, and maybe that figures it out. But I, I think that you probably just lost about 20 to 25% of your offense where the tight end's the primary read now that Greg Dulcich is down. So for me, Greg Dulcich is the bigger guy that this, this team's going to miss until he gets back. Yeah, Greg Dulcich, the third leading receiver on this team last year behind Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton, who were kind of neck and neck there. Um and he missed all offseason last year. Yep. All the training camp. And he looked good, uh, man. He looked good out there last year. He looked like he had a nice feel. A lot of a lot of playing tight end in the NFL is about the feel for mm. the zones, the open areas. I mean, you watch Travis Kelsey run routes. He has an amazing feel for it, a timing for it. 
Um, he can slow the clock down in his mind. He's not in a hurry. He's not in a rush to get anywhere. He sets you up. He sees what you're doing. He watches the play develop, and then he hooks up right there in the zone, and it's 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 butter. It's 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 cookies, man. It's uh, candies. Yeah. yeah, he knows exactly what the defense is throwing at him, and he knows exactly where Patrick Mahomes is going to want him to sit down. It's a great feel for the game. Can let me ask you this: Can a rookie get that accomplished? Because we know what Chris Manhurst is, right? He's a blocking tight end. <clears throat> we saw what kind of Adam Troutman is. Now, when you look at Nate Atkins, rookie, right? Nate, uh, Nate, he doesn't really profile like that kind of a player. He's more of a like a jack of all trades. He can get in the backfield and be a fullback. He's like the backup to to the fullback here. He can go in motion. He can be your second tight end, do a lot of blocking stuff. But I don't think he's a dynamic pass catcher the way Greg Dulcich is or the way Sean Payton wants a p- particular tight end on his roster to be. Okay, so do you need to be a dynamic pass catcher or do you need to have just a unbelievable understanding of what the defense is giving you. I would say having an unbelievable understanding of what the defense is giving you makes you a dynamic pass catcher. If you have good hands and good talent, of course, you got to you got to finish the the play, but if you have an idea of it and you're given the opportunities, you could become that dynamic pass catcher. So could Nate Atkins now develop a great understanding of yeah. what the defense is throwing and become a dynamic pass catcher for Russell Wilson and Sean Payton of the 2023 offense for the Broncos. You know, he's a rookie. It's a hard it's a hard year as a rookie tight end. There's a lot that gets thrown at you. At the same time, he's been prepared for this role, and uh, they liked him. They prioritized him as a priority free agent. They gave him a pretty decent signing bonus. They wanted He was one of their top 30 visits, too, yeah. Nate Atkins. So they clearly liked the young man. Uh, I just Does Sean Payton see him that way? Because if Sean Payton doesn't see you that way, you won't be that. Because they got to put you in position at practice to do that. But who I else mean, is going to do it, though, Nate? Because that's well, what we could bring up, bring Albert O off the practice squad. Uh, Albert O off of 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 our, wait oh, oh, but, oh he's not he, here he's gone he yeah gone. Akui Boonham has left yeah. the building. So um, well, it's going to be uh, that would be interesting, John. John, can, can you we actually look that up? Can, can we look, give that is pick? Albert O on the active roster out there in Philly? Can we give that pick back? Because if he's on the practice squad, I would definitely be like, yeah, hey, big fella, come on back home if he's on their practice squad because you could do that. You could make that move. Um, And maybe he might be on the practice squad right now for Philly because of just the fact of, hey, he just got here. You're learning this offense. Yeah, They might have never put him on the 53-man roster. George Payton's probably making that call. Um, But this is going to put more pressure. On Sean Payton, the play caller. Uh, it's going to put more pressure on Russell Wilson to have one of the, the targets that he actually bonded with last year gone. And it's going to put more pressure on Jerry Judy to get back out there quicker. Sean Payton needs a tight end. He needs a tight end with Jimmy Graham for all those years. And then with uh, Jared Cook. When Jared Cook got there, he kind of resurrected his career. Tight ends are very, like pass catching tight ends are very uh, much needed in Sean Payton's offense. So it's going to be exciting to see. How the adult in the room, a guy that's played a lot of football, has done how he manipulates this roster now moving forward to get by without great dosage. Maybe Adam Troutman will level up, you know, discover some of those moves. Okay, is that possible? You played the position. Is that, that well, possible? Like, what, for what you saw this past weekend, um, what's the ceiling? For, for I will Troutman? say, like, we're, he's never going to turn into, like, you know, Brandon Marshall after he catches a football. But. You don't get tackled in preseason. You don't get to practice that. Mm-hmm. You know, really breaking actual tackles. Um, so, maybe, so I, I imagine if Adam Troutman stays healthy and is an integral part of this offense every single week, we'll see better out of him. We'll see more out of him. 
Um, but uh, we're going to need more out of everybody. There's there's some playmaking that needs to happen that didn't happen the other day. Mm-hmm. Playmakers wanted on this team. Let's push the ball down the field. They're going to take. They're going to give you everything underneath. Okay, that's the game plan going to be going forward with Russell. Uh, they're going to do exactly what the Raiders did. Keep everything underneath. Make Russell you know, throw for five yards at a clip and just limit them, limit their ability to make big plays. And they're not. And they're and the field goal kicker situation is difficult. So they're going to miss some kicks. They're going to stay out of the end zone and they're going to hold them under twenty. Yeah, got to find a way to put stress on the defense. And I think with how the Broncos have done things and how the roster looks right now. You talk about them giving them everything underneath. Okay, well, I would put even more of an emphasis on the run game. You know, we looked at last week, nice one-two punch. Devontae, I think, had, what, 13 carries? I think Sabaji P. Ryan had around eight. Um, nailed it. Perfect. My screen's not even on. You know, that's just off of nailed camera right it. there, Nate. Nailed it. But um, maybe you're going into this week and you're saying, man, 30 carries. Maybe that's where you're thinking in your head. 30 carries. we got to find a way to get to that number and show teams that we could be successful and be, you know, four yards a clip, be efficient in running. Because if you're running on first down and you get four and you're running on second down, you get four. Now it's third and two. And now the whole entire playbook's up. And the defense has to make a decision at that point. Do they sell out and try to stop the run? So they put eight people in the box, and now they're not in this cover two shell. So essentially they're they're giving you some more better looks and better options over the top. Or does that defense say, you know what? No, we'll just let you have these long drives down the field and hope that we, you know, don't break in the red zone and right. put it on your kicker back. Yep, a 15-yard drive that results in zero points it is a huge bummer, a huge deflating bummer. All right, so before the break, I asked you, Orlando, there was a position group that was considered a strength a couple weeks ago that did not perform very well um, in the game. What, what position group might you have thought I was talking about? Did not perform well in the game. Or could have been, could I, I would been say I would say edge rushers. You know, I thought that this Broncos interior. I thought I liked the things that we saw at the D line and the D tackles. Um, for me, it was the edge rush. It was the lack of pass rush. Uh, the only time I thought Jimmy Garoppolo got hit or had to rush through his progression was when the Broncos blitzed. So Broncos are paying a lot of money to Randy Gregory. Randy Gregory scares me. Every time he does make a play or make a tackle, he, I feel like he's going to get a personal foul right after. And he's just wild and erratic, always jumping on the pile. I'm just like, dude, slow down, big fella. You've been hurt. You've been hurt a bunch. You have never played a whole entire season. And he's yell, yelling at people every play, getting in people's faces, yeah. refs pulling them away, giving them warnings. Yeah, so for, for as much hype, that has come out of the outside linebacker room, I thought they were non-existent. It's it like they didn't even show up to the football game. Yeah, I was confused by that as well because what we had heard all training camp was how stout, how game, how ready this group was, how deep the depth and, and the waves that were going to come through with Jonathan Cooper and, and Nick Benito looking like a beast in training camp. Where was Nick Benito in this game? Did you see him? I mean, he only played 15 snaps, but he didn't really flash in any of those snaps. I, I didn't see Frank Clark... Six million dollars. None of them flash. Frank Clark flashed on the offsides. Yeah, that's what he flashed My on. Bad. Giving up the first down. That's where he flashed at. Um, I don't think any of them flashed. You know, I, I thought, I thought Jonathan Cooper was okay. I thought he was solid. You know, but you know, we're not here to be solid. We got to have an imprint on the game. There has to be at least one play a game where you're saying, "Man, that was a big time play coming out of that outside linebacker room." Has to. 
because there's also there's so many question marks other places on this football team. So for me, the biggest like the, I wrote it down as the game was going on. Broncos have to find a way to create pressure by rushing four. They have to. And if the Raiders could do it, the stinking Raiders can do it. And and I know that Max Crosby is a phenomenal talent, but he's the only person. The Broncos are sliding protection to him. They were chipping with the tight end. They were sending the running back over there as well. And yet Crosby was still able to find success. Right now, if I'm a opposing team's offensive coordinator, I'm looking at the Broncos' front defensive line. I'm saying, yeah, you know what? Not really worried about it. Don't, well, there's not one person where I gotta come in on a Wednesday and circle them and say, this is a game wrecker. We need to know where this person's at every single time on third down. We, so maybe they gotta get a little bit more creative with how they're doing it. Maybe a little bit more NASCAR package. Let's see Randy Gregory on the inside of the field. We see Miles Garrett do it all the time for the Cleveland Browns. He was like playing a little basketball with the center this past week going against Cincinnati. And I saw but, that. Yeah, like acting like he's crossing over. And then that's basically the move that he did on the, the center when the ball was snapped. But maybe we got to move guys around in passing down situations to find a pass rush because it was non-existent this past game. Well, like you mentioned, Jimmy G, a lot of what they did offensively was getting the ball out of his hand as quickly as possible to try to avoid any rush. So some of the lack of rush is based on that, is the offensive game plan for the Raiders. But you see what happens to the secondary when they have all day to throw. Um, It's hard to cover those guys for very long. These guys get paid too. All right, um, on its face, the surprise onside kick on the first play was a little bit silly, but Sean Payton may have been trying to teach his team something that they don't know. That's next.